You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Most of you know me. Those who don't, I'm Chuck Kennedy. And I'm an, I attend here. Rick's the pastor. So everything I say that's wrong, blame it on him. He let me up here. <laughs> so... That was a great, that, that was absolutely a great testimony. We just want to thank you for that because we forget sometimes how these moves of Christ really impact people. I was, before I start to, I just had a couple of words that came up to me today. Eric, one came to you. And, and so it came to Eric. Eric works in retail. Eric's a manager in retail. And you know what? I want to put a message here. Eric, the Lord is just telling me, your people are on the front lines of the kingdom. They are not to be dismissed. Waiters, waitresses, cashiers, everybody in retail are on the front lines in the kingdom. And they appreciate the work that you do with your people. Because right there is someone who's leading from his place of employment the kingdom. We all think we have to to quit our jobs before we can become leaders in the, in the body of Christ, and actually the, the most powerful leadership are those that are employed someplace, and when and the Lord's risk was saying thank you, because I'm going to tell you why. How many waiters or waitresses do you know that feel underappreciated, underpaid, who feel like have been told that they're in a dead-end job, and they're going nowhere, and they are right where God needs them, wants them, and is blessing them. So give an amen to her too, because I'm telling you, that's it. That's, uh, we were just talking about this. Do you realize how many people they see per week that have communication that they can be a light and just explode? The, they don't have to preach. They can just be beacons of Christ, and they're going to see how many tables does a waiter, wait, waitress normally do on a shift? 15, 20? You got two tops, four tops, six tops. You got so many different. They're going to see hundreds a week. 15,000 a year, maybe. You don't think there's an impact? I'm just a lowly waitress or lowly waiter. Impactful. Okay. We just want to thank all those people. Anyone who's working retail here, God bless you, because you are the most, you know, look how many time people go into Walmart, how many people go into a Speedway. Powerful, powerful people for Christ. So if any of you that have sons or daughters, you think, oh, he just works at Speedway. Give him a big amen and say, you are on the front lines of the kingdom. All right. My topic today that I uh, came about before I knew that Dan was going to be here, and it had to do with something to do with the Bible that I had to express what excites me about the Bible. Why does the Word of God excite me? So I started to write this. It got down to about 65 pages, (laughs) only about five hours, and that was Genesis 1 and 2. (laughs) Don't worry, I got down to about an hour and a half. But <laughs> all right. First thing I want to talk about is how do we look at the Bible? There's a huge mistake, I think, and a disconnect that happens with the Bible for most of us. How many people look at it as a manual for life? 
Well, that might be a, a mistake. I'm going to tell you why. I got a manual for my car. And when a light comes on, I read my manual. I look for a certain spot in my manual. And I go, okay, uh, I need to put oil in it. Then shoo, into the glove box. It's not happening again. Until the next time a light comes on. You know what? If I went, if I, if I took you to my house and said, hey, we're going to watch a movie. And I brought the, put the movie in and went, funny line, funny line. You're going to go, what the heck are you doing? Oh, I'm just going to show you the good parts. We do that. We mine for nuggets. And we have no idea that we are just throwing away all this gold dust all the way through. The Bible's a story. And it's a rich story. See, my wife used to, when she heard about Dr. Spock, my wife's Korean, so she, when she came to America, she didn't know much about Star Trek. She heard about Dr. Spock and goes, that's you. You know, no emotion, everything has to be logical. <laughs> and I was stunned. You know, I had to take one of the personality tests just recently. And I had taken the same test several years ago. And it said, you know, are you emotional or logical, you know, outgoing and introvert, all that kind of stuff. And I can't remember the name of the test. It's a hyphenated test. Anyway, everything's hyphenated. There's always two people involved. So, and it said I was, you know, no feeling at all. I just recently took it, and it's like almost even, which I was shocked. I thought, I better take it again. Because what happens is there's so much diversity in the Bible because it's, the Trinity is diverse. So there's going to be genres of history, of poetry, of song, of so many things, because the diversity of the Bible is a result, or the diversity of the Trinity results into a diversity of the Bible. The personalities of the Bible. Think about this for a moment. The three persons of God have been speaking to one another for eternity. God is an accomplished speaker. This is not something new, but here's the good news. He's an accomplished listener. For eternity, he's been speaking. And we, op we open the Bible and we say, oh, yeah. This is it, the word that it's in Timothy is, it has theonuma. God breathed. The wind of God. His breath. It's a living word. It's not just something, some story. When you read the Bible and you're reading the word of God, in real time, the living God that dwells within you connects with that. And you start a symphony, and you start a dance, and it becomes something so powerful, it's so revelatory, and it just it moves in you. It's like nothing else. You know what one of the problems is, for too, all too frequently, it takes us a few minutes to get going. But we, we end it before those minutes are over. We, we say, okay. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read a chapter a day. Four minutes later, all the static and noise that's in our brain hasn't filtered out yet, and we're done. And we are actually training ourselves to take the emotion out of the Word of God. Instead, the Word of God is so emotional, it's nothing but emotion of his heart to your heart. It is so powerful that almost the stories. To, are, are only transcend because of the, the heart that involved with it. And that's what I wanted to talk about today.
Because we're, we're, you can't just take little snippets. Now, I'm going to give you some verses, but I'm going to encourage you to read the rest of the story that surrounds it. That, but really, the big illustration, the big illustration of the Bible from the beginning to the end is God is constantly, constantly, constantly seeking us. Never ending seeking us, but not just a normal union. He wants a union of marriage. He is seeking his bride from the beginning to the end. And, and when you look at that, that's the, if that's the big illustration, then we've got to look at it from a lens like this. Now, a lot of us have been hurt by marriage. Some of us have been raised in a family with a broken marriage. Some of us have broken marriages. But we're going to ask for grace right now that we can get past that hurt to, to don't let that stop you. Because God's marriage is perfect marriage. That's probably why when I asked Jesus about marriage, he goes to the pre-fall days of the perfect union of Adam and Eve before sin. But, and the other thing is you can't go to Genesis and then jump to Ephesians 5 and then go to the end of Revelation and say, okay, now I know about marriage. You have to take some time to work your way through. How about we start with a, a, a strange one? How about Leviticus? Because you know every sermon that's got Leviticus is exciting. So in Leviticus chapter 26, and this is, I want, I want you to think about this though. This is God speaking to a grumbling, complaining, sinning, Matter of fact, there's a couple of chapters before, they were worshiping some goat idol. I mean, I don't know what that's about. But, and here's what he says. I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I want you to think about this from a Hebrew perspective. Do you understand that was a wedding vow? For a, a Hebrew would say, you will be my woman, and I will be your man, and I will live with you. That's why it says he, the husband gets, goes and gets his wife and brings him to him. That's like 40-some times that's in the Bible. And we look at that, and we just go, okay, yeah, God kind of wants to do it. But it's so powerful to that. I mean, when you look at that, God wants to dwell with us. God wants to love you and value you. He doesn't reject you. Yours and mine, mine and yours. That's marriage language. That, that's intimate. And, and you look at that and you go, God wants to live with us? When did he, where, where were they when he was saying this stuff? He's in the desert. If I was God, my people of God would want to be in Hawaii. <laughs> but... He takes the most, most, the worst place and says, I'm going to make that my dwelling with you. You mean the snakes and the, cock, and the uh, scorpions. That's a powerful, powerful move of God. But, sure you know, but you see this all the way through. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see him, the cool of the day, kind of like hanging out all the time. And you see Adam saying, you know, hey, man, I'm naming some animals today, and it's pretty cool. And... and I mean, what's the deal with this thing with the duck bill? And, well, it's, I named it a platypus. What a stupid animal, God. You know, but they're having good. But even after sin, though, even after the fall, God searches for him, 
calls them out, looking for them. You see that? Then you think, boom, that's got to be over. Got the flood, it's over. But no, he comes to Abraham. He keeps seeking them. He keeps coming. He speaks to Abraham. He visits Abraham. Jacob sees him face to face. Remember, they wrestle a little bit. Kids will do that. Anyway, <laughs> he even named the place Face of God because he sees the face of God and lives. What happens is God shows he's more than just someone who can make promises. He is the promise keeper himself. So he's letting them know that when I make a covenant, it's going to stand. In the Exodus, I mean, shoot, Moses used to meet him all the time face to face. But when you look at that exchange, that is almost a textbook wedding. You've got a written contract, the law. You've got a feast for seven days. You have a canopy, the cloud. And then they go up into the canopy. I mean, Solomon. I mean, here, you know what, what gets me is you keep seeing God keep insisting on his presence. He says, I want to put my temple here among you. So he separates a tent and boom, there he is. Then he says, I'll lead you. How about some smoke? Boom, boom, boom. And then he, he, Solomon has a temple. Let's dedicate it. Boom, smoke. I mean, he's always, always making his presence known. He doesn't keep it a secret. He says, I am your people. I will dwell with you. He makes his presence known and he keeps coming at him. I just... I'm stunned by, really, when you think about it, you've got a sinful people, a perfect God, and he has a union of love of marriage. And he won't relent. He won't step away. He won't back up. And if you read, this is a good book, isn't it? Okay. All right. You know, I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh, oh. You know, when we see the, the, but we see that example of the tents, the tent in the center, but God's plan is not separate tents. God's plan is no separation at all. God's plan is not just a union, it's an indwelling. When he says, I will be within you and you will be in me, I am your God and you are my people, he's saying, I, I'm looking for an indwelling. It's so powerful. Where else do you see something like that where two become one? Well, that might be Genesis. And when you look at Genesis 2, I got a copy of the verse here. It says, the man said, you know, this is, you know, you read this and you go, how romantic is that? This is actually very, 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 what have we got up here? Yeah, okay. This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. They, they were, but hold it, it's not two people. There's three there. They were naked before God and felt no shame. A union made by God and they felt no shame. And, and it. This is a prophetic verse. It's not in the present. Adam and Eve didn't have mom and dad. He's speaking to, to us. You know what? That, that message is telling us we're going to leave our home, and she's going to leave her home, and we're going to be one forever. Now, 
good news and bad news. That means, you know what, you got to tell your mom, knock it off. That's my wife or husband. Because she's going to come first. You know, sometimes when Jesus said, you're going to leave your house and, make it, and you're going to, be, to follow me, you think he was talking about this? He was talking about your commitment to the marriage that you're going to leave to follow me. So he was, that language, if you had that lens on of marriage, it would have jumped out at you. It would have just leapt off the pages to you. But see, we're trained it's a manual. I'll get back to it. We don't hear the story as it evolves. You know, I mentioned about that, the wedding scene. And you think, okay, that's perfect. Everything's good. And so he goes up in the mountain. He's, got, he's under the canopy. And what's going on? They're over there making an idol. And, and I just, I'm sitting there going, my goodness. While he's quote-unquote, marrying his people, they're defiling the marriage Amen. while it's going on. I, I mean, I've heard about something like that. But that's crazy. And that introduces a new kind of language into the Bible. And we see it over and over. Sin is no longer sin. You ever notice that? It stops being sin. It's harlotry, prostitute. It's, it's uh, adultery. Sin becomes I'm a jilted lover. You should love only me. And you've got all these other people around you. It becomes personal. It becomes hurtful. So when you read the Bible, instead of looking at the fear of God from a standpoint of, boy, he's going to zap you, look at it from a broken heart of a man that's in love with his wife that gets cheated. You know, he's got some, when you look at the, the prophets, you've got Ezekiel, whose wife dies, and he's not allowed to grieve. You got Jeremiah, who's not allowed to get married, and then you got Hosea. What's up with him and Gomer? He's got, he's got to buy her back. He is showing every expression he has. He has seen like he's never been married. He's seen the death of his marriage, and he's seen his his wife turned out to be a prostitute and he talks about it in language that even says she, that she became such a whore that she paid them. When you read chapter 16, it starts out so beautiful that he finds this baby, Jerusalem, and he raises it up and he is so in love. I'm going to read it. 16. Yeah, she doesn't have a tape for it. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. That doesn't sound like marriage. And then, right down a little bit later, 32, verse 32, not chapter 32, verse 32, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. All prostitutes receive gifts, but you give gifts to your lovers, bribing them to come to you from everywhere for your illicit favors. That's a heartbroken God. The Psalms, you know, we go to the Psalms. Do you think David's writing these like a master and a servant? You hear this love in the Psalms that can only be songs to a lover. 
Songs that are so deep in his heart. And, and you know, we read one or two of them, but man, there's, he goes from tribulation to where are you? What? Where have you gone? Like, a, like his lover has separated from him. Like he's gone away. And then he comes back. Oh, yes. And you, you have that, that feel of lovers united in his, some of his songs. It's, it's just so... Proverbs. Proverbs is like one through nine. All of that is about a, a father teaching his son to pick a wife. Then 31 at the end is all about the wife. And if you read Song of Solomon, holy Toledo, it is nothing but marriage. Some of the most beautiful words you could ever be sung to a wife. And, and some of those words are surprising because she says, you have my seal. Then when you see in other places that the seal, we think it's sealed as a slave, but he's, sometimes he's wanting to seal you as his wife. And we overlook those. It's, it's I mean, you know, Isaiah, we were talking about Isaiah earlier, he makes it, um, let me get my page right here. And we were in the 50s of Isaiah, some, some of the best verses in the Bible. But 54, he says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will not forget the shame... You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the Lord of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your Lord. For a brief moment I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, our Redeemer. I can't write that good just because I stayed out too late. I mean, that's incredible love. That's a, this is an absolute love letter. We just had Valentine's Day. You could have put a heart on this side and give that to your wife and she'd, she'd remember you forever. But that's the present and the future. That's powerful. I mean, you know, then you get to the Gospels. Oh, my goodness. There's no doubt in your mind what the Gospels are reading to you. And by the way, you know, the incarnation, if you think about this for a second, the incarnation is the proclamation that God seeks to speak to his people. And he wants to talk to you face to face, person to person. And he, he brings his son to do that. So in the love of the Trinity and that, that surge of God wanting to have union with his people, the outcome of that is he has a son that is, becomes man so that that is possible for us to have the wedding. Because really up to this point, that spirit thing, but when we have that wedding, now it can happen. I mean... You, right away, just think about this. Right away, you know, you know where love begins in the Bible? Let's start with three of the Gospels. Is when Jesus is about to be baptized. He's going to start his ministry. He's about to offer himself to us as a bridegroom. And God says, I, this is my son whom I love. 
In John, it's God so loved the world. That's where it starts. Actually, in the Old Testament, it's about Isaac who's about to be offered. This is, but John the Baptist, he gets asked about, you know, what's going on here? Who, got this Jesus guy, he's kind of getting, and he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Because what happened is, when you got married, you would send your best man to pronounce he's on his way. Then he would come up and go to the house and talk to dad. They'd write a contract, all the details of it. He'd give the dad a big gift. Then he, he, was, then he would also, as he was leaving, order a gift for the bride so she could prepare herself for the wedding. So a gift went to dad, a gift was going to go to the bride. And then he'd go back home. And depending on how much money they had, if he was wealthy, he might build his own house for him. Most what they did was they'd add rooms to the current house. Then, now all this was done without much fanfare. This, there's not much going on here. But when he comes back, he sends out the, the heralds. He, his friends are there, and it's horns blowing, and he, he shows up, and she has no idea when he's coming. She then, he then gathers up the bride. Now that she's heard him, you know, it's like from here, oh, gosh, I got to get ready. <laughs> you know, and she gets ready, and he takes him back. Then they have the seven-day wedding feast and a huge feast. All right? So now think about this for a second. We, we see a lot of different proverbs and stuff like that, you know. The signs and wonders start at a wedding. The, we see the signs and wonders, and, and we see the proverbs, or not proverbs, but the uh, parables. Lots of parables with wedding language, lots of them. Obviously, the ten maids and all this. But, you know, John 14. First of all, the whole John 14 to 17, the whole thing's a marriage proposal, basically. <clears throat> it's, you look at that. It's really like the contract of marriage. I mean, okay, this one just came on. Palm Sunday is him, him coming in to go look for his bride. In the upper room, he's given the, the contract. All right? In 14, he tells him, do not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I have told you, that I'm going to there to prepare a place for you. And if, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you may also be where I am. Know the, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Yeah. They sat there and they heard marriage. They heard this comfort of, of, of marriage language of a love so strong. He didn't say, hey, I promise I'll, I'm going to come back. Don't worry about it. He used this one. I've prepared, I'm preparing your place. They, they knew exactly what that was. <coughs> Excuse me. Because most of those men had done that because they've been married. They know that preparing a place thing. And their hearts eased at, and were less troubled by that. That was language, and then he goes from you into me and me into you. And then the gift to the Father was at the cross. The gift to the bride is the Holy Spirit. And we sit here and we say, There's, what marriage talk are you talking about? 
Because the Holy Spirit prepares us to cleanse ourselves and be ready for the bride. It cleans us so that we can be married to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And that's the gift to the bride. The gift to the Father is at the cross because he pays for everything. Because usually it's a dollar payment. And that's why when Jesus is on the cross, it's one of the many reasons you hear the Greek word, I believe it's tetelestia, tetelestia, something like that. I'll let the Greek expert tell you. Anyway, it means it's paid. Actually, more than it's finished. And it was an accounting term. So if you had a big debt, and let's say you welched on your, Marcus doesn't pay his bill. He owes me money. I can go to his house and I can stamp, put on his door that Marcus Welch, he owes me 50 bucks and he can't take it down. It stays there. But then Rick comes over and says, I'm going to help Marcus out. Marcus, he pays me 50 bucks for Marcus. And then you write that Greek word across it. It is paid. The debt's paid. So that's what is happening at the cross. I, we're almost out of time. I just get too excited about this stuff. All right. All right. So now we got the other part. Now, obviously, it's so easy when you get to Galatians to, to see the language there. But remember, this is on the, remember, this is, this is part of Galatians that most women hate. Because it started off with, wives, submit to your husbands. And you're like, because that's, you know why? You've been hit across the nose with a newspaper about this stupid thing so many times. But the husbands, time for you to listen to yours. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Uh, if you're not being forgiven to your wife, it's our job to wash her clean when she's upset us. It's our job to, to be the leader in that household to spiritually lead her into cleanliness so that this marriage with Christ can continue. So then we go on. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Love him like his own bodies. That's where the husband should be saying, bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh that we are one. You know, I mean, I make the joke because people, but I really mean it. When I talk about my wife and I say, you can probably tell the resemblance now. Those of you who don't know, my wife's Korean, black hair, about this tall. And, but it's goofy. We finish each other's sentences, not always in the same language, but we do. And, <laughs> and there's, a, there's a thing. I can tell when she wants something before she's ever says it so many times. Yeah, we are one body. I've got enough kimchi in me to be halfway to Seoul by now. But, but it says there, after all, no one ever hated their own body because I'm in her body. And so, and they feed and care for their body, just as Christ the church, for members of one body. For this reason, he quotes Genesis. He's telling the husband, for this reason, a man will leave his, mother, his father and mother and be united. And he said, it's a profound mystery. But it's not a mystery anymore. We understand it because Christ has been with us. Christ has been our example. I, I'm almost out of time, so I'm, I'm going to land this thing. There's only one other thing I have to say. I always, 
I was puzzled by this. Actually, I didn't get the word on this one until like Friday. I'm asking, Lord, why does it have to be marriage? Why does it have to be marriage? And he finally revealed the answer to me. I asked my wife. And she goes, I don't know. God, I hope I get treated better in heaven than I do here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here's why. There's four Greek words primarily in the Bible for love. We know that. We have agape love. That's unconditional love, sacrificial love. Phileo, that's friendship, bros, we're hanging out. Then there's storage, which is like family-type love, and it's protective love. Then there's eros, that's your passion love. That's your chemistry. There's this attraction. You just can't be apart from one another. Do you realize there's only one place all four of those completely come together? Marriage. That's the most only thing I can find where every single one comes together that we will love unconditionally and sacrificially, that we want them to be our best friend, we will protect them, and we will be family with them, and we can't be without them. We just can't ever step away from them. And that's what God is saying. I love you in every way you can define love. That's how I love you. And I'm going to bring you into the kingdom. And we're going to have a wedding banquet. And we're going to party like it's the 4th of July. Because it's not going to stop. It's, because when does the party end? It's eternity. It never stops. So there's no seven days and then go on to your business. It just keeps on going. We're going to party like rock stars. So... I just, that's just one aspect. I want you to under, think, how do you read the Bible? What does the Bible pull you into? What is it when you're reading a story and you're like, we were just reading uh, in, in Timothy today. We were getting excited about because it, it said it's, it's breathed. The word is breathed. Not long before it, it said, Timothy is to, to prepare himself to be presented before God, and it had the language of a bridegroom and a bride meeting each other, that you're holy and pure. It, 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 the language is constant. This love language of God is all through the Bible. You can't find a place where it doesn't exist. Because the love language is either in his been a jolted lover or expressing how much he can't wait to be with you. I just find it amazing. I guess my question then would be, you know, God keeps proposing marriage to us over and over and over. And we say, I'm going to say yes to God. But have we said, yes, be my husband. Be everything there is in the world to me. Because you know what? Oh, gosh. In a wedding vow, when you say, I do, also it says, I don't. That means everything else is shut out. Everyone else, all suitors are gone. Anything else that can lure me away from this covenant is out. It's, when you say, I will, you're saying, I won't. And it is a bond that you make for eternity. As a matter of fact, our wedding vow with God doesn't say when death do we part. It says, death's been defeated and we will never part. Amen. And so we have a wedding vow that we must adhere to. But have we said yes to that wedding vow? Have we said, yeah, Jesus is a cool guy. I, think I want to be a Christian. Or have we said, I want no one else but him for the rest of my life. Jesus is the deal. I, I reject greed. I reject everything else. The world can't tempt me 
and separate me. And God's already said, that separation can never happen. Nothing can separate you from his love. So God, all he asks you is, make the same commitment to him. And I think that's it. So I'm just going to ask that we pray for a second. All right. I'm going to ask that there's some here that may or may not have really stepped into that level of commitment to Christ. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come down right now. Is if we just said the wedding vows to love and to hold from this day forward in good times and in bad, richer or poor, sickness or in health. And then the Holy Spirit comes and says, by the power vested in me, by the kingdom of God, I now pronounce you man and wife. And then right then, I want you to get a picture in your mind right now. Close your eyes. You're at an airport, and you see that couple that hadn't seen each other for about a week or 10 days, whatever it was, and they come out of that little chute, and they see their husband or wife, and they come flying. And they give each other the biggest hug and kiss you ever saw. And then right now the Holy Spirit says, Groom, husband, you may kiss your bride. Right now, Holy Spirit, come on us. And get that picture of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus just grabbing you and never letting go and kissing you like you're right on front of that, right there on that altar that day. Let the Holy Spirit come on you and feel this love of God like you've never felt it before. Make it permanent. Make it, realize it. Come, Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come. Let, it, let that just resonate in you. I just find it amazing sometimes when I think about how much God loves me. And I, and I know us guys, we don't want to be brides, so we're going to sit here and it's nothing to end that right now. I don't care if I'm a bride or groom. I don't care if I'm his dog. I, he loves us at that level. I can't wait to, just to put my arms back around him and to know that he seeks us for eternity. He's, he's with us, good times or bad. He's with us, sickness and in health. He's with us every moment of our day. And he'll be with us eternally. There's nothing that can beat that. I hope when you look at the God's word and his word comes together with the, the God that dwells in you and you start that magical dance like you're on the floor. Of your, your, now you're at your reception and you're just dancing. And you, just know, and you don't even know that anyone can see you. I don't know how many of you have had that experience on your wedding day. And you and your wife start to dance for the very first time on that as a husband and wife. And, and I'm a clumsy, terrible dancer, but I didn't care. I'm just dancing. You couldn't, you couldn't have separated us. That's where we are with God right now. So I'm going to ask anyone that needs extra prayer, that's having trouble connecting with that and would like to have prayer for that, with actually like that special anointing, I'm going to ask that you come on up and go to this side over by where Rick is sitting. But it just came on me that some people need some prayer for their feet. Anyone whose feet are driving them nuts, have painful feet, line up in these chairs right here. I'll, I'll pray for feet and I'll have an anointing team praying for anyone that wants an anointing. So any of you that can would like to assist Rick's going to help anoint. By the way, you're, you're in job. You got a job to do. <laughs> oh, I just got a word on you that's unbelievable. 
right now, here's what God is saying. The pneuma and the dynamo, that of the Spirit, is about to enter you right now. That you've been in a peaceful place with Christ. You've been in a wonderful place with Christ. But now it's going to be obvious, explosive. He's saying you need to, you're going to step into this. All those pastors that you used to admire and go, man, I wish I could preach like that. You will. He's saying that's coming into you. And you will lead like you've never led before. Wow. I'll take the mic off of her. I've got a good one on her too. <laughs> but, but I do have a real powerful one for you. There's something that, about your leadership at home and your family and your kids that's going to be so significant. You are about to send new pastors, new avenues, and you're doing some, something with women that actually making leadership of women. It's really going to be strong. As he rises, you're going to be rising with him with a ministry of your own. So we're going to really pray on that. that you know what? We, when we hear something like this, we've got to connect to this and pray into that when he steps into it, we allow the path to open. Sometimes we have to be John the Baptist and shout, make straight the path because God's messenger is here. So we have to be a part of this. So let us not give up the responsibility. We all have a responsibility here. So good word for you guys. Yeah, I like that. All right, foot time. Anyone else need any special prayer? Anointing? Come this way. But I'm going to do some. Oh, foot time. All right. All right. Officially, I'm done. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.